This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, we have packed a few different shows together that we call Highlights to help you to get the most bang for your time and educating you on the topics that you want to learn from. We would love to hear from you. I am grateful that you are with us today. Have a blessed day. Our guest is Brett Swartz. Thanks for being on the show, Brett. Whitney, thanks for having me. Now, I'm honored to have you on the show. You have some skills that we need to know, right? You have a specialty here that I'm looking forward to getting into today. But a little about Brett. He's a CEO of Capital Gains Tax Solutions and every year equips hundreds of business professionals with the Deferred Sales Trust Tool to help their high net worth clients solve capital gains tax deferred limitations. Experience includes numerous deferred sales trusts, Delaware Statute Trust, 1031 exchanges, and $85 million in closed commercial real estate brokerage transactions. An active commercial real estate broker and investor himself with experience and holdings in multifamily family, senior living, retail, medical office, and mixed-use properties. He's a licensed California real estate broker and holds Series 22 and 63 licenses. He formerly was an associate at the largest commercial real estate brokerage firm in the country. So, Brett, you know, thank you again for your time being on the show today. Give the listeners a little more about who you are and exactly what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Whitney. Yeah, so I live in Sacramento, California. Five, five kids with my wife, Melanie. We married 10 years and we kind of grew up native California, originally from Mission San Jose Bay Area, where I learned kind of the real estate world with my dad building custom homes. The majority of my time actually in Rockland, California, which is in Sacramento. Played sports in high school, played basketball in college, and uh, learned about investment real estate uh, in 2006. And kind of haven't looked back. It's been my passion and, and love for helping people create and preserve more wealth through passive and or active investment uh, real estate holdings. So I uh, learned about a tax deferral strategy along the way. And now we want to empower business professionals like yourself and others to help people defer tax and do more deals. Okay, so you are going to help us to defer tax. I mean, that's, that sounds pretty good, right? <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Yeah. So, you know, get us started. And, what you know, as a syndicator in the syndication business, you know, I guess get us started and some things we should be thinking about what this means for us. Yeah. So most commercial real estate syndicators, they have partners and, and even themselves, they struggle with capital gains tax and depreciation recapture when they go to sell their high-end primary home, business, or commercial real estate. And we use a deferred sales trust, which is just an installment sale, creative installment sale, to give them tax deferral, liquidity, diversification. And the best thing is the ability to buy or invest into other commercial real estate deals at optimal timing so they can create and preserve more wealth. And as a commercial real estate syndicator, so that you can add massive amounts of value to your partners and so that you can create and preserve more wealth and attract more capital. Well, a better way to put it is unlock the capital that is stuck in an illiquid asset. So to give you some more context here, according to the American Bankers Association, there's about $17 trillion that will pass from one generation to the next in the next 20 years. And this is known as the largest wealth transfer in the history of the planet. And this is by the baby boomer generation. In fact, alone in America, there's about 77 million baby boomers. And every day, about 10,000 of those turn 65. And then what's happening with them is they're, they feel really trapped. We call it the perfect storm. And they're trapped because they want to get out of the toilets, the trash, and the light. 
liability and they want to uh, be able to maybe retire uh, from the active management of commercial real estate and be more passive, right? With a syndicator who perhaps is a little bit younger and is maybe in a different geographical location and has some value-add forced appreciation opportunities versus their one particular town or city that they're in. The next thing has to do with just interest rates that are hovering near 40-year lows and real estate and businesses appreciating a great deal. And we call this the perfect storm of what do you do and how do you help that group to diversify and get liquid and then be able to invest in deals that you have lined up? Mm, okay. Wow. Yeah. 77 million baby boomers. And you said 1.5 million turning 65 every day. Uh, 10,000 turning 65 every day. Oh, 10,000. Yeah. I was like, wow. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, 10,000. Okay. And then, yeah, interest rates at 40 year lows. And so, you know, get us started as far as like what this means for, you know, the syndicator, what we should be doing or thinking about, you know, to understand how to use a vehicle like this. Yes. So most of you, your listeners, and I know you know about the 1031 exchange, right? Which is a tax deferral strategy for investment real estate, for like-kind real estate. And you know the value of that because essentially you can defer the tax and roll it into a deal and keep that growing your wealth, right? Versus paying the tax, which is about 30 to 50%. And that's usually what we're working against. 30 to 50% of every deal that's sold is going to be hit with capital gains tax, uh, state, federal, Obamacare, and then plus depreciation recapture. And instead of paying that, you do a 1031 exchange, right? But the challenge with most syndicators we work with, our operators, is a lot of them don't allow exchanges into their deals unless it's a certain deal size. And and also on the flip side, when they go to sell, everyone's just paying their tax. So into the deferred sales trust, the intent is to defer the tax. The problem is there's not a clean or concise way to make it happen with the 1031, whereas the deferred sales trust is very flexible. Each partner can go their separate ways. It also works and have their own deferred sales trust, or they can just pay their tax or do a mixture of both and then invest it into your deal. The next thing has to do with timing. In a traditional 1031 exchange, you have to do something within 180 days, meaning you sell and buy something within 180 days and identify within 45. So the intent, again, is to find a deal. But the problem is, especially if it's a highly appreciated marketplace, especially in the properties they're they're selling, it's difficult to find a deal within a certain period of time. Whereas the deferred sales trust is a solution for this in that you can put the funds in the trust and you can buy when ever you want to, meaning optimal timing, right? Tomorrow, day 181, five years from now. Part of what happened in the 08 run-up, Whitney, and I witnessed this firsthand, especially in Sacramento, is one of the hardest-hit cities in America, was people were selling real estate 04, 05, 06, 07, and they were 1031 exchanging into bigger and bigger properties. And the challenge was is they were overpaying a lot of times because of the tax. And so we say, no, there's a better way to do it. You can actually get out of debt, And also that's what the 1031 oftentimes it forces you to do, to stay in debt or take on more debt because it's equal greater value rule. And instead put it all into the deferred sales trust. And now you're liquid, you're diversified. And then you can go into multiple syndication deals right across the U.S., smaller amounts. So it's just a more flexible way to defer defer tax. And then again, for the syndicator to unlock that capital for folks that want to sell that business. We've done thousands of these transactions with veterinarians, dentists, doctors, tech companies, uh, apartment complexes, self-storage, and they want to attract that high net worth. But a lot of those clients, they feel trapped in those properties and they don't want to do another 1031 of its investment property, but they love the deferred sales trust, unlock that capital so they can deploy it into your deal tomorrow. 
Okay. So can you walk me through an example? Like, you know, when would something like this apply? How do we get it started? Where at in the process of the property and selling and buying? Yeah, let's walk through an example. So I just did a recent deal in Sacramento. It was a $1.8 million sale for a gentleman named Peter. He was uh, about turning 70s at Marin, California. He's driving to South Sacramento to manage 18 units. You know, it's one of those deals where it's kind of hard to hire management because it's not that big. And if you do, it takes a lot of the profits away. So he's doing a lot of himself. And he's always been a hands-on guy too. So he's done multiple 1031s over the years. So he, he has not only debt on the property, but he also has a big capital gains tax of 500000 And he told me, Brett, look, I didn't want to trade 18 problems for 36 problems. I made my wealth. I don't need any more of these headaches. I mean, he's banging on doors, trying to collect rents, making evictions. And he's just going, I want to be done, right? And I, But I also don't want any more debt. And I don't want to overpay. And so into the deferred sales trust, he sold it, moved all the funds into the deferred sales trust, paid off all of his debt and deferred $500,000 in capital gains tax. And here's the biggest reason why. He said, Brett, I want to buy or partner with people who are syndicate, who are operators anytime, tomorrow, or when the deal comes up. He thinks the market's going to shift in another one or two or three years. And that's when he's going to be poised to strike. In the meantime, he's invested in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, diversified, liquid, conservative stuff. Nothing that's you know too much stocks. And he's just keeping his powder dry. So it comes up in those scenarios, right? For the gentleman who's older, who wants to diversify, wants to retire... For the syndicator, it comes up because, again, we're looking for ways to, to attract and unlock wealth to invest in our deals. So the way we do that is we provide the solution for folks, right? The solution to be able to do that. So again, if it's a business, if it's artwork, if it's a collectible, the Deferred Sales Trust works for all of those. A 1031 is very specific. It only works for investment property. So that's where it falls short. The other part is for the people you're actually buying from, okay? So now I want you to put on the actual syndicator. I'm looking for the find the deal. And who's the ideal person to buy from? Well, it's the mom and pop who's kept the rents low, who's been very nice to the tenants, who's owned it for 20, 30, 40 years, who's fully depreciated, who doesn't want to do another 1031. They don't need any more money. They, they get calls all the time with, hey, why don't you do a 1031? They're going, no, I've done that for 40 years or 30 years. So you want to buy it from those folks where there's a value add forced depreciation. So enter the deferred sales trust. When you call them and say, hey, look, Mr. Owner, I know you don't want to do a 1031. There's actually a different way for you. It's called a deferred sales trust. You've just solved their problem. They're more likely to sell to you versus anybody else. They're more likely to sell off market to you versus anybody else. They're more likely to take a lower price. Why? Because they're going to save 30 to 50% on their sale and they're going to be liquid. They're going to be diversified and they're not going to have to do the active real estate. So I'll pause there because I know I just said a lot and that's probably uh, maybe some questions you have. Yeah. So I was thinking about, so go back to the first example. So the guy that sold the 1.8 million. So he sells that, he puts all that in a deferred sales trust. So now, uh, and so now he can invest it however he wants, right? Yeah. There's only two exceptions. You can't put it into a primary home and you can't go overseas, but it can go into investment real estate with up to 80% of the funds. The remaining 20% will stay in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, but it can also go into a, a business startup as long as there's business purpose and investment to be made within the US. Yes. But he did have to pay some capital gains or he did not? No, 100% deferred. Yeah, he put all the proceeds in there. So he's 100% deferred. So when will he pay taxes? Good question. When, when would you like to pay taxes? So most of our clients like to pay the taxes second day to never. Meaning they're just going to live off the interest or they're going to keep 1031ing and, and just keep doing that. 
So the moment he takes boot or the moment he receives actual receipt of the cash, which is when it's triggered, which is how this works, which by the way, it's how a 1031 works. So let's walk through how this kind of works with you. All right. So you ready? You're going to be the, you're going to be the seller and I'm approaching you. Okay. So Whitney, you're selling a $10 million deal. It has a zero basis. You have no debt. And if you were to sell today, you would owe, let's say, $4 million in tax. Okay? So you definitely want to do a tax deferral strategy okay? because those numbers are pretty brutal if you pay the tax. So I approach you as just a regular person off the street and I say, I'm going to buy your apartment complex, Whitney. May I give you a $2 million down payment? Would you please carry a note for eight? Would you do a seller carry back? And let's just say you say yes. So in that scenario, Whitney, if I give you $2 million down, how much actual receipt did you receive? Two. And that's what, yes, yes. Right? So you're going to owe tax on that too because that's what it triggered. But that other $8 million is what's called a seller carry back. It's in a deferral state. You follow? I am. Now, what if I said I'll give you a zero down payment, Whitney? If I give you a zero down payment today and you carried a note for $10 million, hypothetically, or you wouldn't do that because in a, in a real world, I have no skin in the game, but let's just say hypothetically you would. How much tax would you owe if I gave you a zero down payment today? None. Zero, right? Because you haven't received anything and the other 10 million is in a deferral state. Now that income is going to, or the interest is going to uh, happen. I'm going to pay you interest and you're going to pay ordinary income on that interest. So that's how a deferred sales trust works. Here's the difference. We have this $10 million buyer lined up and we have Whitney ready to sell and they're about to do the transaction. But what happens is the trust jumps in right between and it actually buys your position for 10 million in exchange for an installment note. It gives you a note. It gives you a zero down payment in exchange for the property and immediately turns around in the same escrow and sells it to that buyer. And that buyer puts the 10 million into the trust. So if the trust bought it for 10 million and sold it for 10 million, how much does the trust, uh, how much gain does the trust have? Zero. Zero, you got it, right? And if Whitney, again, if you took a zero down payment and exchange for the note for 10, you're in a deferral state. So how much do you owe today? Zero. You got it. Okay. So the buyer takes title. He's gone. So that's how it all works, right? That's why it works. It's a 1920s tax law goes back 90 plus years. We're just creative on how we apply the law. And that's exactly what the IRS said too. This is how we know it's legal. We have thousands of business professionals across the U.S., but all that being said, what it does now for you as a syndicator or as the owner is it takes you out of those timelines of that 1031. Because the tax law for 1031 is IRC 1031. Whereas us, we're IRC 453. So these are two tax deferral strategies, but they have different rules. And these rules for the 453 are much more flexible than the 1031, which means no equal or greater value no short time period, no replacing of any debt of any kind, multiple product types, multiple investment vehicles. And I can go in and out of the trust, all tax deferred for as long as I want. And the best one I think for you guys has to do with depreciation. So in a 1031 exchange, the depreciation schedule travels, right? Meaning if you take any accelerated depreciation on deals or any depreciation for that matter, and you sell and do a 1031 exchange, that depreciation schedule goes into the next deal, meaning you need to buy a bigger property to offset it. So let's say it was a $10 million deal again. You fully depreciated it out. If you were to sell today and buy an exact $10 million deal, there's no new depreciation. It's already zero. If you buy a $25 million deal, well, now you've got an extra $15 million in depreciation, okay? But that might take on a lot of debt and a lot of risk. So some people are like, you don't want to do that. Well, enter the deferred sales trust. We could sell that same $10 million, put it into the trust. 
use $8 million to go purchase, let's say a $25 million deal. Now there's a brand new $25 million deal amount of depreciation. It's a brand new schedule because I didn't do a 1031. I partnered with my trust to purchase this. And that's very powerful. So now you can do accelerated depreciation to offset the income everywhere. Our guest is Hugh Odom. Thanks for being on the show, Hugh. Thank you, Whitney. I appreciate the opportunity. Hugh is a former AT&T attorney and for over 11 years and the founder and president of Vertical Consultants, telecom consulting firm that has provided consulting advice for companies like Walmart and Disney and government institutions like the United States Postal Service, New York Housing Authority, and Veterans Affairs. Hugh has been a resource to newspapers, podcasts, radio shows, and blogs for years. He has the ability to understand the true value of land to sell tower companies as they roll out hundreds of thousands of new towers using commercial buildings. Hugh, welcome to the show. I think this is just an interesting topic. We've not talked about this on the show hardly at all, if at all. I can't remember the time we talked about you know cell phone towers. But I tell you one thing, we're all looking for ways to add more value to our property, right? And I know of people who have added cell towers in some form or fashion and very a little, but I've heard of that and it can add value. But then again, there's a lot of things that it could trip you up with as well, just like you and I were talking about before. And so looking forward to getting into that. And so Hugh, give us a little about your background and let's dive into this topic of cell towers and land and the value of each of those. And maybe that's an option for us, at least help us to know that we're doing it correctly. My background and the people that make up our company's background, we were in the telecom industry for 10, 15 years respectively. And I was an attorney inside AT&T for over a decade. And I was on the other side of the table, let's say. I was the guy negotiating and structuring agreements to lease or acquire land for infrastructure for AT&T to build out their cell towers and other types of equipment. And 10 years ago, we started Vertical Consultants. We basically just think of us going on the other side of the table. because So we saw this huge difference in ability between the cell tower companies, the wireless carriers, and the landowners. The landowners were not getting undervalued, but as you mentioned, they were entering into agreements that have a negative impact on their land. So we started working with individuals, churches, schools, small businesses, built some very large businesses as well, to assist them in not only valuing these opportunities, but also structuring them in a way that gives them value today and throughout the term but also protects their land as well and their buildings. Nice. Well, I have consultants for all kinds of things or have had and coaches and people on our team because there's so many different aspects of business in general, especially the commercial real estate business that you can't know everything, right? That's why your team is so important. And I can see why someone would hire somebody like yourself for something like this because it seems so kind of out in left field a little bit for most of us, but it could be a great way, like I said, to add some value potentially. So help us to think about who in commercial real estate are his prime candidates for or something like a cell tower? Well, with the rollout of 5G, I mean, everybody's going to be a candidate to some extent with a commercial property, but the build-out is going to be mostly in urban areas and then also areas that are in a kind of a mixed area. What we call that mixed area is a commercial residential mix where we do a lot of work with self-storage and hotels and things of that nature because they're in that mixed area to some extent. But what's going to happen and what has happened is that if you have a building or you have property there's going to be and continue to be a need to build out more and more cell sites. Just think of it. I tell people besides air, water, and food, what's the thing you rely upon most every day? That cell phone to communicate, to get information, et cetera. It's not getting less valuable in your everyday life. It's becoming more valuable. 
And there's two types of people think of technology. They look at 5G and look at all this technology on their phone. That's kind of like looking at the car and forgetting about the road that it has to drive upon. The technology is one part of it. Without the infrastructure, without the ability to be on those buildings, to be on that land, there's no ability to use that technology. So our job is to work with those property owners to understand the value of their land and to get that right agreement in place. So there's going to be a lot of opportunity now with regards to existing property or property owners with existing agreements, but also a lot more build out in the future years because of 5G is going to need a lot more sites. How do we know if our property would be something that, you know, we should consider adding something like a cell tower to? Every week, we probably get 300 contacts from people around the country saying, I have a great location, I have a great building, great place for a cell site. The easiest answer is, You'll know it when they knock on your door or they send you a letter. We work with some very large companies that have 1,000, 2,000, 4,000, 5,000 commercial properties. And in that instance, if you have a large portfolio, you can go to some of the carriers and kind of work out a master agreement between the two parties. But if you own three or four properties, I tell people, if you're going to chase that sell side agreement, it'll be a long road and it'll probably end up nowhere. But you really need to make sure the biggest thing is understand when that opportunity, that knock comes to the door, that phone rings, that email comes across, is that you understand exactly not only what you're being offered, but understand what you're giving up in exchange. Okay, so let's think through that a little bit. So we're prepared when we get that phone call or email, like you said, if we received that, a lot of us wouldn't know what to do with that. Or maybe it may sound good, or maybe the cell phone provider, whoever that is that's contacting us may make it sound very good, right? But what do we need to know? I know you've alluded to some mistakes, obviously, that people can make and just how it can affect the entire deal in such a big way, whether it's throughout the life of the deal or the sale and financing. Help us to think through that and what we should know. Sure. The first thing is when you're being approached to put something on your property, you're being sold something. It sounds like you're getting something, but you're actually being sold something. You're being sold the idea, hey, I'm going to give you money for free. You're not using that space on your rooftop. You're not using that portion of your property. So it's kind of like you're getting money for nothing. You're not. You're getting money for use of your property, number one. Second of all, they try to minimize the impact on your property. When you're in a sell side agreement, you're not only giving them rights to a certain portion of your property, but you're putting restrictions on the rest of your property. Even if they're only using four or 500 square feet, they're putting certain restrictions in their agreement that impact your overall property. So what you need to think about when you've been approached, if we tell people all the time, ask for two basic things upfront. Ask for a copy of the agreement, just to look at that, because sometimes they'll send you a proposal over their term sheet, and they'll try to get you to focus on that. They get you to narrow your focus on the financial terms or some very basic terms. Get a copy of the agreement. Second, get a very simple site plan, not only where the equipment's going to be, but also any areas of your property you're going to need for utilities or fiber optic lines or things of that nature. So you know exactly what your property is going to be encumbered by. And the biggest thing we tell people with regards to this is don't worry about what they're offering you understand what you're offering them. If you understand that, that's the key to the game. They want you to focus on what they're offering you, whatever that number is. If you understand what you're offering them, then you can negotiate based upon not only getting the correct value, but also putting certain protections, as you mentioned, that don't have a negative impact on your property with regards to future developing your property. A lot of these agreements have in there that you're committing for 20, 30, 40 years, and they can walk away at any time. But I always use an example, and this works in about 99% of the leases out there. If I walked up to a property owner and said, I'll offer you 10 times the market value of your property, but I have one condition, just one, and I have the money right here. I need, let's say Verizon. I need Verizon to move their equipment 10 feet, and I'll give you 10 times market value. 99% of the people out there have sell site agreements, couldn't do that deal. 
because they have no pathway to deal with that relocation of that equipment. And now they've got into a situation by the use of their overall property is subordinate to Verizon's or AT&T's or whoever's use of that small piece of their property. So there's a lot to know about understanding value, but it's also a lot to know about how this impacts your overall property. Some great stuff to think about right there. It may seem like a great opportunity, but you'd have to think about the restrictions that they're putting on your property, no doubt about it. To make that work, to make it a win-win, what have you seen in the past work so we don't really chain our leg you know, to a ball and chain so we can't sell or get financing or whatever? Maybe you share with some examples of issues that people have had and then what we should be doing about it. Well, we use two words over and over when we talk to our clients about these agreements, we use structure and that helps you financially and also helps you with the protection. But the big word is flexibility. Flexibility because none of us out there know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, more or less 10 years from now. So what you need to do is think of it this way. You need to think about having certain protections and certain pathways in those agreements. For example, like I mentioned, if you want to redevelop your property, let's say somewhere down the road, you need to have the ability for them to work around you, that being the wireless carrier to work around you. And if not, then you're going to be, again, restricted by that. A lot of people enter these agreements and they forget to have that flexibility put in there. And they often say when they're negotiating that agreement, say, well, you know, we don't have any plans ever to redevelop this property. It's never going to change. And I always say, how can you predict 20, 30 years down the road? Nobody can. And if you don't want to redevelop it, half the guy you want to sell it to or wants to buy it wants to do something with it and can't do it. And that hinders your ability to sell or get a higher price for your property. So that's one thing. A lot of other things out there with regards to financing, which is kind of an interesting issue, a lot of the bigger lenders are looking at these sell side agreements as not so much pluses, but sometimes a little bit of a negative if they're not structured in the right way. Because the lender, if he ever has to step into the shoes of the owner because of some bad situation, he wants to have the ability to freely market the property and sell it. And sometimes these agreements, if they're not structured, these sell side agreements, if they're not structured correctly, can hinder that. And then with regards to overall pricing, the additional revenue can be a great benefit that you're getting from the sell side agreement. But the problem is, if you start putting restrictions and restrictions and restrictions on properties, anybody in real estate knows some of the most valuable properties are the ones that have the least amount of restrictions you can do anything with. If you start hindering that, you start hindering your ability to do things with the property and it also affects the net value of the property going forward. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today.